Hi, it's JP Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, this week um, we're going to talk again a little bit about the Canadian truckers and how their movement has grown and gone international. We've had uh, trucker-type protests in France, in New Zealand, in Australia, in the United States, and of course the main one, the original one, is still going on in Ottawa and other parts of Canada. And so far, so good. Um, I'd like to talk about that uh, later in the show. Uh, but first, if you have been following this podcast, uh, you know that, or you probably heard me suggest that the left is actually a bit more fascistic than they lead on. I think it's a mistake to think of the left as being strictly socialist or communist, um, because socialism, communism, and fascism are all fruits from the same poison tree of collectivism. And so I'm going to talk about that today. We're going to take a deep dive into the history and philosophy and uh, the nature of true fascism and how the true uh, definition of, of fascism has been stretched to you know, almost beyond recognition. Um, I'm sure a lot of you all already know that. It's used promiscuously, particularly with the left-wing media and by Democrats, particularly in the United States and other uh, left-leaning uh, groups in, across the world, especially in Europe. Uh, basically, the Use anybody of not following their leftist ideological dogma as fascist. And so I'm going to talk about that today, and we're going to clear up some of the misconceptions, uh, hopefully give you some ammunition uh, to use against somebody online, figuratively speaking, of course, um, when they accuse Trump or Republicans or conservatives or you of being a fascist, um, you'll have some facts to back up your argument. And so I want to, uh, I'm going to read some excerpts from this article. It's entitled The Original Fascist by Angelo M. Cordovilla. Um, it was originally published in September of 2020. Uh, it's out in The Independent. Um, the Independent is a good source of political thought, particularly um, for, I guess, more of the conservative or libertarian side. And so uh, I've done a lot of pieces, read a lot of pieces, a lot of excerpts from things being published in uh, The Independent. So, I encourage you to uh, check in from time to time uh, with that website. Um, 
but I really like this article. Uh, it's very long, so but I would encourage you to read it. Um, even this excerpts um, I'm going to read to you now are kind of long, so try and stay with me. It's I think it's really interesting uh, stuff, and this really goes um, to what I've been saying is how the term fascism is greatly misused and abused. Um, you know, basically, if you hear anybody on MSNBC or CNN or any form, anybody from the Democratic Party uh, refer to a fascist, they're probably using that term wrong. And uh, this article is really good. It gives it goes in a lot into the history, particularly uh, Mussolini and Italian fascism, describing how it came to be and how Mussolini gained power. Um, and the history of fascism and how it differentiates even from what's generally considered fascism of the Nazis. And so it's going to go over some of those uh, differences. And so this is a great article. Again, it's by Angelo M. Codevilla. Um, and it's called The Original Fascist. From movement to epithet, so please look this up uh, if you get a chance. It's a, it's a great read. <clears throat> so I'm going to uh, start off from the beginning of the article here, and then I'm going to jump around. Um, and I'm going to be skipping over wide Swasa articles, so I encourage you to read the whole thing on your own uh, if, you, if you get a chance. So you're starting from... Today, the adjective fascist is an epithet, often mixed promiscuously with white supremacist, sexist, etc., that the ruling class uses to besmirch whoever challenges them and provide emotional fuel for cowering, marginalizing, and disempowering conservatives. This maneuver consists of defining fascism in terms of unpopular ideas, political practices, and personality traits observable in many times and places then having cited hitler's nazi movement as fascism's quintessence quintessence of pinning those deplorable characteristics on intended targets the this reductio ad hitlerium aims at no less than to outlaw conservatives as the Washington Post's Jennifer Rubin ex exclaimed, these people are not fit for polite society. I think it's absolutely abhorrent that any institution of higher learning, any news organization, or any entertainment organization that has a news outlet will hire these people. And the New Republic explains why fascist rhetoric needs to be excluded from public discourse. The establishment doesn't seem to realize that they are preaching some of fascism's practice. And indeed, as the, the article is going to go on to explain, they do. Um, if you read this article, if you educate yourself further on fascism, what it really is, you're going to start seeing uh, these fascist tendencies everywhere in uh, the mainstream media, and, uh, of course, 
Um, and today you will see a lot. If you're looking what um, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, is doing with regards to COVID-19 and the uh, Freedom Convoy, um, you're going to be able to see a lot of similarities between what he's doing and uh, some fascist practices. And so, as the article uh, states, the establishment doesn't seem to realize that they are preaching some of fascism's practices. This essay looks behind fighting words to fascism's reality. Although Benito Mussolini, fascism's artificer and personifier, died discredited in 1945, fascism's socio-political paradigm, the administrative state, is well-nigh universal in our time. And as the European and American ruling class adopted communism's intellectual categories and political language, the adjective fascist became a weapon in its arsenal. We begin with how fascism developed in Mussolini's mind and praxis from 1915 to 1935. How it was hardly out of tune with what was happening in the rest of the Western world, as well as how it then changed and died. After considering how fascism fit the 20th century, century's political warfare doctrines, we explore its place in contemporary political struggles. First subject here is, is subtitled Rising Star. Mussolini was radical, talented, ambitious, insatiable, he fashioned fascism out of the ideas and circumstances of his time. In 1883, his socialist father, a blacksmith named, named him for the most radical revolutionary of the time. Mexican Benito Juarez. His middle names were those of Italy's most radical socialists. But Benito was, was also raised to revere the, the liberal Republicans who had unified Italy. Outstanding as a student, the boy qualified to teach in secondary education upon his own secondary school graduation. Since age 18, he carried the official title professor, but teaching in small towns strained his leftist political advocacy and his personal ambitions, including sexual ones. He was a quote-unquote chick magnet. Also, because he was not about to let himself be drafted into the King's Army, he emigrated to Switzerland in 1902. While supporting himself as a stonemason, he learned German and French, studied philosophy in part at the University of Lausanne, read Frederick Nietzsche, Charles Bouguet, Georges Sorel, Arthur Schopenhauer, Immanuel Kant, G.W.F. Hegel, and Karl Marx, among others. He was active in social circles, both Italian and international, giving speeches to workers and helping to organize strikes, which got him expelled. We got to know, he got to know Vladimir Lenin, who later chastised Italian socialists for letting such a talent leave their ranks. Uh, so just comment here.
um, people, um, if you have any doubt that um, Mussolini uh, was a socialist or even a Marxist, um, this should uh, remove any doubt from your mind. He was a socialist through and through. Uh, as we'll see later in this article, uh, his uh, ideology evolved, and uh, we'll see uh, along which lines they took. But yeah, he was, he, I mean, Vladimir Lenin knew who he was. So, yeah, that's pretty much all you need to say about whether or not uh, a, uh, fascism is a, a branch of socialism and belongs. Uh, leftist headings all right back to the article back in italy taking advantage of an amnesty for having invaded the draft he served for two years in the army's elite bersaglieri corps probably uh, butchered that name anyhow after two more years of teaching the 26 year old benito became a full-time socialist activist first in trento at the time part of austria where he agitated for national reunification as editor of its socialist newspaper back home he supported himself writing essays and editing a journal called lotta di classe class struggle and even writing a savagely anti-clerical novel in 1911 the party entrusted the 28 year old with editorial editorship of its flagship publication avanti he quintupled its circulation in 1913 he published his only non-fiction book giovanni huss il verdico verdizzo in praise of john huss the 15th century czech religious reformer by 1915 he also married and fathered a son by one of his mistresses he became italian socialism brightest star all right and further down the article it says hegel as well as the positive and progressive movements had argued for the serenity of expert administrators um can you think of an expert administrator around today his name begins with F and ends with I. Anyhow, uh, Fascist Italy was the first country in which the elected legislator, legislature gave up its essential powers to the ex executive, thus abandoning the principle first enshrined in the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, by which people are rightly governed only through laws made by elected representatives by the outbreak of world war ii most western countries legislatures the u.s congress included had granted the executive sole powers each by its own path thus establishing the modern administrative state he is referring here in the article as what we would call sometimes statism and I have called statism just a, a stepping stone or, or a precursor to 
full-blown fascism. Uh, Alright, continuing on. Socioeconomic organization was fascism's defining feature. Only employers and employees organizations approved by the government were allowed. They represented and collected dues from any and all in their category and territory, whether these had signed up with them or not. In 1925, these had agreed voluntarily, quote-unquote, to recognize each other as exclusive representatives to subordinate interactions at the local level to central organizations and to draw up procedures for their cooperation under government supervision. The Law of Corporations of April 3, 1926, codified this Political economic order. No longer would corporations be responsible to owners. Thenceforth, they would answer to higher duties as defined in the law. As Mussolini put it, in a world of social and economic interdependence, the watchword must be cooperation and, or misery. Labor and capital have the same rights and duties, both must cooperate, and their disputes are regulated by law, decided by courts, which punish any violation. This resulted in the orderly servicing of interest groups' fascist preoccupation. Okay, uh, at this point, it is worth mentioning... Um, uh, Last year, or back in 2020, um, in Davos, Switzerland, uh, the group of uh, world world economic leaders, I think it was called the uh, World Economic Forum, if I'm not mistaken, they came up with the idea of the Great Reset, which would take advantage of the kind of short-circuited of, of the world's economy by the COVID-19 crisis and co-opt that into a means of basically transforming the world into their name. And so, as you read this, uh, keep in mind uh, what these people in uh, who today are doing in Davos, Switzerland, uh, with the World Economic Forum. And uh, their idea of the Great Reset. So kind of put that in the back of your mind. Uh, the Great Reset. When as, you, as I read this um, next part. Mussolini's favorites. Other than the military were teachers. To whom he gave repeated rousing praise. And exhortation. Nationalism notwithstanding. He also courted Italians. Ingrained localism, having substituted appointed or elected municipal authorities, he tried to fill the positions with local icons. For nearly all Italians, life in the late 1920s and 30s was better than it had ever been. The generation just after World War II grew up amidst stories about the wonders of life, quote-unquote, before the war. Uh, further on in the article, it reads, uh, he starts to talk about uh, the relationship between the United States 
and uh, what Mussolini thought of uh, uh, the political scene in the United States in the 1930s. And it reads, After Franklin Roosevelt's inauguration in 1933, Mussolini's enthusiasm for likening the New Deal to fascism's political economic order was tempered only by the need not to give additional ammunition to FDR's domestic opponents, who were saying precisely that. Yet, Benito, uh, or yet, Benito, he made a clear that the spirit of FDR resembles fascism, since having recognized that the state is responsible for the people's economic well-being, it no longer allows economic forces to run according to their own nature. Mussolini also published a glowing review of U.S. Agricultural Rules Secretary, eventually Vice President, Henry Wallace's 1934 book, New Frontiers. Fascists rejoiced that FDR had forsaken liberal for corporativist principles and that the world's most powerful country, the country most admired by Italians, had taken the trail they had blazed. The good feeling was largely mutual until 1935. Even prior to Roosevelt's New Deal, American statesmen and elite journalists regarded fascism and Mussolini as interesting and perhaps imitable. Examples of how to deal with the post-war period's challenging. And then uh, later an article uh, speaks of the downfall of Mussolini and fascism in Italy. The war destroyed what remained of Mussolini's legitimacy and of his judgment, as well as his health. Circa November 1942, members of the military high command, as well as some high-ranking members of the fascist party, began to press King Victor Emmanuel to depose him and get Italy out of the war. On July 10, 1943, Italians greeted the U.S. invasion of Sicily joyfully. This moved the king to tell Foreign Minister Dino Grandi that should the fascist Grand Council recommend Mussolini's removal, he would be willing to use his constitutional powers to appoint a successor. The debate on July 24-25 that preceded the council's vote of confidence in Mussolini was about the national interest, not ideology. After the vote, ordered arrest. His successor, Pietro Bedoglio, a career army officer, tried to arrange an immediate switch of allegiances to the Allies. Had this happened suddenly, even as Italian troops were enmeshed with the Germans, these would have been unable to organize a defense against the Allied advance. But Soviet influence in the Allied councils dragged out Supreme Allied Commander Dwight Eisenhower's acceptance until September 3rd, by which time the Germans were ready to arrest Italian troops. Some 815,000 became German prisoners of war. Germany also invaded northern Italy, rescued Mussolini 
from the king, transfer him to their occupied zone, and used him as a puppet until the end of the war. Mussolini ruled northern Italy for a year and a half as Hitler's bloody agent. In April 1945, when communist partisans executed Mussolini and hung his body upside down from a meat hook in Milan, there was some pity but no regrets. A little farther down, it's saying any realistic notion that fascism was something that transcended Italy should have been put to rest in 1934 at a conference of international fascism held in Montrose, Switzerland. Few attended, nothing came of it. In short, fascism was a reality limited to Italy. But fascist Italy was first to enact the disempowerment of legislatures and the empowerment of the the Western world's standard of government. And that's an interesting observation uh, about how uh, even today we have this legacy of fascism in the form of pretty much what we would call now the deep state. These unelected officials uh, who control things uh, from behind the scenes and the the bureaucracy. So that is indeed a uh, statist uh, legacy of Italian fascism. All right, continuing on, the birth of a slur. Communists in general, and Joseph Stalin in particular, are responsible for turning the words fascism and fascist into mere negative epithets. They did this as a result of a major tactical decision regarding the political wars of the 1920s and 30s, which pitted the communists against the rump of the socialist movement, as well as against various nationalist and conservative movements. But the notion that everything to the right of communism is fascism remains a fixture in the minds of communists and other radicals. They never cease to think of non-communists and especially anti-communists as fascists. Because, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, the, this is how we get the misuse, the gross misuse of the word uh, fascism and fascist. And so just continuing on, uh, Marxist ideology lets them do that. According to Marx, Consciousness is epiphenomenal to class reality. Hence, what people think subjectively does not affect what they are objectively. Truth that is class objective and hence politically correct is whatever the party judges useful to itself. That is why communists believe that they may apply the term fascist or any other to people who do not think themselves so. But this reasoning, so clearly expressed, is adequate only among communist apparatchiks. For that claim to have forced outside of the Stalinist Kanyal for its 
for it to migrate into modern Western society's bloodstream, it had to be translated into a pseudo-academic form. The book, The Personality, 1950, by communist Tidor Adorno and researchers working at the University of California, Berkeley, began doing that by popularizing a test that purports to correlate personality traits with fascism. That is Adorno's F scale. F is for fascist. The test consists of a questionnaire that measures agreement with what Adorno calls uh, conventionalism, authoritarianism, submission, authoritarian aggression, anti-interception, the rejection of all inwardness, Superstition and stereotypy, power and toughness, destructiveness and cynicism, productivity and uh, excessive sex. These are the characteristics by which Adorno defined fascists. The more someone responded affirmatively to the statements by which Adorno defined these characteristics, the more of a fascist he was supposed to be. The whole exercise validity depended upon Dorno's wholly arbitrary definitions, since the test also looked into the subject's socioeconomic background. It filled out the predetermined circular equation of fascism with the ordinary people whom progressives despise. Some version of that test and that equation became conventional wisdom among the professorati, the media and the ruling class here and abroad. That test fraudulence is based on the presumption that its author, not the historical record, may rightfully de define a historical phenomenon. The moment you have assumed the power to say what fascism or anything is, the moment you have taken upon yourself to redefine reality. You may then correlate the work of your hands to anything else, as it helps if you also def define that something else. The scam's circularity is obvious, unless you're part of it. The author first encountered this scam in 1963 as a student at Rutgers University's Eagleton Institute. The text assigned us Herbert McCloskey's Conservatism and Personality, American Political Science Review, 1958, consisted of one questionnaire to measure conservatism as defined by McCloskey and a second designed to measure personality traits, most of which were translations of Adorno's F scale. The article touted its scientific bona fides by stating that both sets of definitions had been submitted to and certified by experts, including McCloskey's graduate students. Not surprisingly, the project's results showed a strong correlation between conservatism and repulsive, dangerous personality traits. Having received permission to do a term paper on that article, I replicated it as liberalism and personality using the same 
quote-unquote methods, like-minded friends to validate questionnaires as McCloskey had for his. What do you know? The results show that liberals suffer from even worse disorders than conservatives, many unmentionable in a family publication. Only one of my professors cracked a smile. Okay, so what he's talking about here is basically this college professor redefined the term fascism away from its uh, historical context into one of his making. Basically, any anybody that he didn't like or ha anybody who was against his uh, communist beliefs. And so that's an idea of fascism that persists to this day. And it's all a bunch of crap. Okay, continuing on. Uh, manufacturing fascists. Not one in a thousand of today's Western establishment politicians and publicists has heard of, has heard of Adorno or McCloskey. Generations removed from communist professors, they know and care as little about Marx and Stalin as they do about Mussolini. But establishmentarianism's confident that nobody wants to be governed by fascists now justify their claim to power and privilege just as orthodox Stalinists do. It's our, it's us or the fascists wanting to delegitimize their conservative opponents. They call themselves fascists. They then define what conservatives think and do as fascism. Or they run the scam in reverse. Define fascism in terms of the things that their least favorite people do. And then define those things as fascism. Conservatives are fascists. Get it? A July 2019 article by J. Will, GQ Magazine, for example, begins by acknowledging uncertainty about the fascist label's applicability, acknowledges that its widespread use has diluted or muddied its effect on the electorate. But the article resolves the problem with the scam's patented circularity. It tells us that Professor Jeffrey Isaac of Indiana University and Thomas Dumb of Amherst College certified that fascist, fascism consists of reaction to social upheaval, nostalgia for a lost glorious past, the scapegoating of minority groups, a strongman savior, the stifling of dissent and ritualistic community bonding, the experts. Very own F-scale. Unsurprisingly, it turns out that the, that according to these, Donald Trump is quintessential fascist as Hitler on all counts and equally worthy of exclusion from polite society. That crude conclusion also seemed to be Hillary Clinton's point in a talk delivered at Wellesley last summer, citing Madeleine Albright's 2018 book, Fascism, A Warning. She said of Trump, the demagoguery, the appeal to the crowd, the very clever use of symbols, the intimidation, verbal and physical, is a classic pattern. 
Demurely, she left it to the audience to use the F word. Albright herself and other high-end establishmentarianisms dance suggestively around the charge that Trump and those who vote for him are fascists. At, la at least, they say, Trump and his supporters are undemocratic. They also threaten, quote-unquote, democratic institutions and are enough like fascists to make us legitimately worry that they are they might be fascist. They do not explain how officials elected by the people, some overwhelmingly like Hungary's victor, can be undemocratic. But the power to define anything any way you like and to pin any label on anyone you dislike absolves you from having to explain your words relationship to reality. All you have to Explain is how urgent it is to exclude from polite society whoever disagrees with you. In The Failure to Define Fascism Today, published by, on the New Republic's website last June, Jeffrey Kane ritualistic, ritually bows before the fact that today's circumstances are nothing like those of the 1920s and 30s, and that the DNA of its is peculiar to our circumstances. Nevertheless, he quickly falls back on the authoritative opinions of academics who certify that today's conservatives sure look like fascists and fulfill what the experts say are fascism's essential definition, an alliance of hardline and moderate conservatives and campaign to convert the working classes to nationalism, to make them angry and violent, to convince them that they have been betrayed by their global elite leaders. Note well that this definition is not history, but rather another made-to-order F-scale. These are easy enough to manufacture. Anyone can make one to order. So can you. And so that is, I think, the crux of the argument. And I totally agree with um, what the author is saying here. Is that they basically redefine fascism in, in uh, such a way that they've redefined fascism into the def definition of conservatism. So that one to conf conflate the two. And so when people are talking about you're a fascist, um, understand these people are going by a bogus definition that was made up by these academics uh, back in the 50s. And they have no relationship to historical fascism, a point that I've made before. In the mar and the author makes again so eloquently in this... Um, Really good, really informative um, piece. Okay, so let me just wrap up the thoughts here. So just bear with me a little longer. Um, hopefully um, this sort of thing interests you. Uh, I know it interests the hell out of me, but then that's me. Um, okay, continuing on. Uh, qui bono. But what is the point of repeating from society's commanding heights, that is, the ruling classes' opponents are fascist. 
fascistizing near-fascist Nazis, white supremacists, racists, and so forth. Today, those words mean simply that those so indicted have no right to challenge the ruling class. Whatever they do in that regard is illegitimate. Whatever they, whatever may be done to quash them is legitimate because it involves saving all things decent. The accusation's primary audience is all who exercise any kind of power over others. The accusations authorize, indeed urge, this audience to inflict summary punishment. The indictment's volume and vehemence, the variety of places whence they come, reassures whoever would use them that they may be sure of support and they indulge their noble rage to hurt those so indicted. And so this, by the way, I think would explain why the powers that be in the media um, can describe what happened in this, the summer of 2020 when we had the riots led by the BLM and Antifa segments of society. Those were okay. And, you know, Justin Trudeau said that he came out and meet, met those people um, and agreed, you know, he protested with them. But when the truckers come to Canada and honk for freedom, uh, all of a sudden these people are fascists. So this is what um, what this looks like nowadays in, in today's presence um, day. All right, continuing on. The most authoritative opinions from the most authoritative sources now urge doing whatever possible to exclude conservatives now defined as fascists, etc., from government and the professions from the possibility of wealth and influence, indeed from polite society. Why should bureaucrats, corporate officials, police and prosecutors, judges, Reporters, editors, and others hold back from following such authoritative judgments. And if conservatives resist being marginalized or just protest, all manner of regulations can be invoked and administrative devices can be used to limit, isolate, discredit them, and to shut them up. And if that does not suffice... The authorities can stand aside serenely as groups such as Antifa, the famous quote-unquote anti-fascists, and the Service Employees International Union organizers disrupt them forcibly and hurt them physically. Sponsoring or simply tolerating gangsters who attack your enemies is a time-honored practice from every national nasty regime that ever was. To engage in these practices in 1922 through 26 and 1933 to 34, Mussolini and Hitler had to change Italy, Italy's and Germany's basic laws because although they controlled the government, they did not yet control society's commanding heights, the judges' schools, businesses, press, and religious establishment. But because the 21st century's ruling class has almost a monopoly of all those things, it does not really need new laws. Having seized the power to make words 
mean whatever they want and as well as the power to include or exclude from society's prime places they are the law a ruling class increasingly labels people fascists but not for doing or saying things other than what they did or said in previous decades those who are so labeled have not changed indeed those who call themselves fascists chastise them for refusing to abandon their ways nor has fascism changed is one of history's closed chapters except for the theory and practice of political economy that it invented and is now well nigh universal hence the invidious labeling and punitive consequences result from a change in those who impose them we may understand that the challenge is as a progressive deformation of liberalism that people who still sometimes call themselves liberal who have had once defined themselves in terms of all manner of freedom should vilify and try to hurt those with whom they disagree is counterintuitive but our liberal or formerly liberal ruling classes claim exclusively to embody enlightenment and righteousness its taste for humbling those outside itself our times and predominant reality that claim that taste are impervious to reason and i would suggest you look no further than what you see neil young has done uh, with redrawing his songs from spotify um, because he doesn't like the fact that joe rogan has people on whom he disagrees with and who uh don't tow the uh the line the leftist line um particularly when it comes to COVID 19 but really for any other cause um i'm sure uh joe rogan qualifies as a fascist in the minds of some according to the reasons given here and, and their uh bastardized definition of fascism and so here you can see another real world example um so let's read that again the people who still sometimes call themselves liberal who had once defined themselves in terms of all manner of freedom should vilify and try to hurt those with whom they disagree is counterintuitive again we're talking about neil young and uh uh his like uh with regards to joe rogan all right finishing up here we may understand why they are impervious and hence why fighting that class is only alternative to submission by reference to german sociologist robert michaels at the turn of the 20th century he developed called the iron law of oligarchy which argued that any and all human organizations regardless of their ostensible purpose or structure end up serving the interest of their leaders these interests he said are inherently selfish 
Michaels made his case in terms of modern social science, but his thesis is anything but modern. One need only mention Lord Acton's dictum that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, as well as this is illustration of pride as the origin of sin. Not incidentally, Michaels moved to Italy and joined Mussolini. Okay, so there you have it. A bit of a long article, but I think one well worth reading. Um, so yeah, let let's kind of let me kind of re um, restate the thesis of this um, for the article um, describes how Mussolini got his start. Um, he was a Marxist. Uh, Lenin knew his name and actually criticized uh, his fellow socialists for letting such a talent go. And uh, But uh, elsewhere in the article explains that the main difference was with Mussolini and the other communists was that he thought that it was wrong to organize people uh, according to class, that it was better to organize people according to uh nationality and so that's why you have this schism between the socialists and national socialists and the the um uh fascists so you have the international socialists on one side and then you have Mussolini hitler as the national socialists on the other and that was the main source of that schism and also an article uh if you read it there's like a deep-seated hatred that um, that the uh, international socialists and communists had against the fascists. Um, and of course it was returned. I mean, the fascists hated the socialists too. I mean, that's where, you know, how you got the black shirts. Their, their job was to beat up the, the communists and socialists. That's basically what their function was and of course to um also to serve as a paramilitary arm for the fascists um that's how Mussolini came in the power really is that he brought 30,000 of his fascist um I don't know if they're all black shirts but certainly all his fascist pers uh, paramilitary units uh to uh Rome and basically, he forced the king into making him the prime minister and giving him um, total power. And so, this is really an intramural squabble. Um, all this is, is really an intramural squabble between the communists and socialists and the national socialists, or fascists, as we normally call them. And so that's interesting, and there's a lot of bad blood between the two, because of course you had uh, the black shirts beating up the communists in the 1920s and 30s, and so that's something that um, that uh, Stalin uh, never forgave the uh, Italian fascists for, and so that's why they set out to give fascism a bad name. I mean, not that they didn't need it anyhow, but it was really 
uh, bad blood between the communists and fascists. And so, really, when someone calls you a fascist nowadays, it really means you've ticked off a socialist. That's what it really means. Um, they have their anger, um, this um, vendetta against anybody who does as the socialists or communists do. And that all traces its roots back to Stalin and the Soviet Union communist. Um, so that's interesting historical perspective. And also, um, um, it can't be overlooked that um, the re relationship between the fascists and the corporations, um, as I said, fascism basically means that it's like having capitalism only with a member of the fascist party as a member or serving as the chairman of the board of directors of every uh, sizable corporation. That's basically what fascism is. And if you take a look at what they want to do in Davos, Switzerland with the Great Reset, that's indeed what they're trying to do. They want to implant a representative um, obviously I'm not going to call them fascists of the fascist party but they're going to implant a um, representative of fascism in or well what it equates to fascism basically into every corporation in the country so that the deciding vote or the tie-breaking vote or whatever whatever influence that the chairman of the board has of a corporation that's this that's the state that the state has a seat on every board of directors in every corporation that's how uh, fascism has kind of morphed uh into a 21st century version of fascism uh if you uh, Glenn Beck has a really good book out now. And its title is uh, Glenn Beck with Justin Haskins, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism, The Great Reset. And so uh, I've only gotten through half of the book and you can count on the book report as soon as I'm done with the book. It's I I suggest that you go out and get this book, um, and this will kind of eagled on what I've said and what you've heard in this article. Um, so again, and not getting any uh, kickback for this. Um, so Glenn, if you're listening, um, you know maybe give you your some uh, pro bono uh, publicity for Liberty Relearn would be be a pro quo there wouldn't help wouldn't hurt um but it is the great reset joe biden and the rise of 21st century fascism and i think glenn beck and i certainly are in tune um i've said it before on this podcast how what the modern day left is doing uh more closely resembles historical fascism than even uh socialism so kind of i suggest you know we are kind of the wrong enemy 
these all these past decades when we're talking about socialism, 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 really the problem is all of collectivism, whether it's socialism, communism, or fascism. Because again, they're all fruit of the same uh, poisonous tree. And so I'm going to leave you with that. Um, again, just kind of reiterating here that the relationship between historical fascism and what's going on now um, is something to be aware of. And so it will be interesting if that picks up steam, if that notion, um, because I had no, you know, I had come up with the idea, you know, I'm not trying to credit, um, but I had made the ties to fascism and what was going on with the left uh, before the publication of the book. I just want to put that on the record, but you know, we're, I, I think we're on the same page. And I'm really uh, digging what uh, Glenn Beck is, um, is saying in this book so far. I think it all rings true. And of course, it all uh, meshes what uh, we're reading in this article that I just read. So it's from the Independent. It's all available now. Um, great, great article. I've totally gone over at least half the article. Um, just glossed over. So you know, if you want to hear more about historical fascism and uh, how Mussolini and the fascists rose to power in Italy, um, go back and read this book. I just you know hit the highlights and, and it took almost a whole essay or a whole podcast just to, you know, read the essential highlights, but it's a good article. Um, please. It's from the late Angelo M. Codvilla, um, who was a senior fellow member of the board of advisors for the independent, uh, where I, copy and pasted this story from and it's the independent uh review is a very good journal i suggest you know um has a lot of good stuff on there and i've quoted from them before uh extensively and so check them out too a little unpaid um advertisement for them as well but uh, i have no problem with that so that is it. That is our lesson on fascism. Uh, much about the Canadian truckers, but um, keep on trucking. And you guys, thank you for listening. Stay healthy. Um, stay free. And uh, we'll see you week I on and catch us online, libertyrelearn.com, Liberty Relearn on Facebook and LR podcast on and thank you again for listening. Stay happy, healthy, and free.